tonight we're going to learn the ministry dance. Perhaps you're unaware of that. Jenny will be helping me this evening. Jenny, because she works with children's ministry and because she was a dancer, will help you with the four moves she has yet to invent herself. Aren't you just a lit with excitement? Because I am. I know Jenny's heart is racing. So first of all, let us read our text. Romans chapter 15, 13. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 13. And then dig in, shall we? And this is what we read. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Well, then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is a minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore all to all due their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another or loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, they're all summed up in this, namely, saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Excuse me. Bless you too. And God bless you, and I mean that word for word. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of, the, out of sleep. This is always a great text for a pastor. It's time for you to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Will you join me in prayer, please? You're so far away. Thank you, Lord, so much for the privilege of being able to open your word tonight, to be able to enjoy this time. Thank you for this beautiful book and all that you're teaching us as we're in that fifth section, the area on service. Lord, please open our hearts to your book as we open your book towards us. Open our minds to your truth, our lives to your changes. Open our eyes to your goodness. And tonight, may we have fun as we dig into your word, Lord, just 
change us. Apply this now in a great way. Please, Lord, help us to learn from you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would cause your word to burst open and alive and color in all the black and white before us now. Bringing right application to each of us, speaking to every one of us right where we're at. Overcome every language barrier, every cultural barrier, every personal barrier. And speak now. Profoundly let your Holy Spirit come upon me and work through me what I cannot humanly do. Perform the therapy necessary on every one of us to make us more like you. And if there are any yet to really say yes to you, tonight let this night be the night of their salvation. So we commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Now, last week, as we looked at chapter 12 for the second time, for the second portion of it, we kind of got this acronym, and that was, so celebrate ministry. And I'm just going to bark these out and just see if you can remember any of them. The S was surrender all of me to God. The O was to offer me to God for others. The celebrate was to choose my passion, embrace others, to let others shine instead of myself. To endure, to be sure I know who I'm serving, to rejoice with hope and to abide on my knees, to touch a life by giving me and to end it with kindness. In ministry, we are told as we looked through the text that we must meet them where they're at, initiate our relationships, never dish it back, identify the good, stop dying on every hill, turning it over, respond with kindness, and in the end, the why is you win. We were challenged in this then to take this idea of abject surrender to God and expect God to use us. The whole rest of this book shows us how we are to function in the world around us. How we are to function in an ungodly world. How we are to function in the godly world around us in the next chapter when we deal with people with their convictions and their attitudes. In this chapter, we really have four basic motions. Jenny, you get to be thinking here. The first section, for what it's worth, is verses 1 through 4. The second movement in the dance is verse 5. The third is verses 6 through 10. And then the verses 11 through 14 is our fourth step. It's only four movements. Who would have thought you'd be doing anything? So are you ready, Jenny? Come on out here. She had no idea tonight that this is what's going to happen. She'll never be late again. Anyways, um, listen. Okay, you can face them. Okay, here's the first one. You can get here. You can, you can take a look at this. And this is where we're going to go with it. That's the first one. Okay, listen to these, these four verses. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist it will bring judgment on themselves. Rulers aren't a terror to good works, but to evil. 
Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you'll have praise from the same. For he's a minister, he's God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, you better be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword in vain. He's God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Our first step in the fourth step of this dance is get down. Jenny, what do you got for us? Oh, that was beautiful. Okay, okay, stand up. I want everyone to give it a try. Come on now. Jenny, do that one more time. That was just beautiful. Okay, can you remember that? Come on, Bruno. Don't be afraid. See, the problem is... Okay, get down. Just so, There you go, right? Just simple. Okay, thank you, Jenny. You can sit down to the next one so you don't have to stand there the whole time. Now listen. If we are really going to be God's servants, we have to learn how to get down under the authority that God places above us. We live in a world that hates authority. And we will actually try to, to incorporate that into our Christian walk. And you know what? Let's be honest. Just because somebody is above you does not mean they have to be smarter. Does not mean they have to be better. Does not mean they have to be more educated. Does not mean that they have to be anything other than placed there by God. I don't know, I mean, how many of you, just to see if you're actually willing to show this, have ever been in a job where you thought, my boss is an idiot, and I know more than he does? Any of you, by a show of hands? I'm only doing this to demonstrate my own. Okay, now some of you are afraid. Thank you, none of you actually are on staff here, so at least that's safe. Um, Yeah, this isn't a job, this is a calling. No, follow follow me on this. God ordains leadership. And what it tells us here, listen, this may be hard to swallow. It says in verse 1, no authority is there except God. Put it there. Now you would say, yeah, but God doesn't know how wicked our government is. Oh, really? You want to compare it to the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago? Where the Roman soldier had right into your house with no retrieval from you whatsoever if you weren't a Roman soldier? They could take your wife, your children, they could sleep in your bed, eat all your food, they could force you to carry their stuff one Roman mile, and that was just the expected law. You can imagine what happens with that. Listen, when God speaks to Pharaoh, remember how wicked Pharaoh was with Moses? In Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, God says, Indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you. And that my name may be declared in all the earth. God, one of the reasons God will raise up and elevate a wicked man is to show his power that no matter how much, how big the man gets, how strong, how influential, how powerful the man gets, he will never compare to my God. And ultimately, every evil man that has ruled anything that looks like the known world will not compare to the Antichrist. And he can't, he, what we read is, Jesus will knock him down with the breath of his coming and destroy him with the splendor. In other words, Jesus goes, and he falls over. And this guy, everyone's like, going, who can fight this guy? This guy's invincible. And Jesus goes, ta-da! Boom! And the whole thing is over. There's your battle. Hey, have you ever thought that Jesus and Satan are like brothers wrestling in a ring? And it's like, oh, Satan has him in a headlock. Oh, no! Jesus is down. One, two, oh, he's up again! There's no battle like that. Read the book of Revelation. An, an angel that doesn't even have a name in Scripture. No, he probably has a name, but we don't read it in Scripture. But we read an unknown angel, grabs Satan and throws him in the pit for a thousand years. How many of you think Satan wanted to go there? 
This wasn't like super buff angel named Fabio. This was just angel. We don't even read it was a guy. Just angel. What if it was like, little angel. God and Satan throw him in. The whole point is, my God is huge. And he's like, look it, I've elevated you to show I'm still bigger. When God speaks to Nebuchadnezzar and his he brags about in Daniel chapter 4 verse 32. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like an ox or like oxen. And seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High, listen, the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He chooses. And this is what I used to think. Coming from America, I used to think that the government was, a, was supposed to be a representation of the people. And if the people were evil, the government was evil. But I've come to realize the government really, in essence, is really a great representation of the church. Because if the church isn't doing what the church is called to do, the government will be wicked. Why are there so many ministries paid by the government to help the widow and the orphan? Because the church has failed. If we were doing what the Lord has called us to, the government wouldn't have to. In the book of Esther, Esther now has become queen, speaking to Mordecai as now a letter has gone out to kill all the Jews. And Mordecai says, if you remain completely silent at this time, she being a Jew herself, but no one seems to know, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What Mordecai says is that don't you think God's put you in that place? Why don't you consider why you're there? In the Gospel of John, this is our Savior Jesus. And Pilate is asking him questions and Jesus is refusing to answer now. Where are you from? No answer. In John 19 verse 9, he went into the praetorium asks that. By verse 10, Pilate says to Jesus, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power against me unless it had been given to you from above. And that freaked out Pilate so bad that he ran out and told everyone that Jesus was innocent. And just to make things worse, his wife sends him a letter. For some of you guys, you know, it's like the guy may be wishy-washy, but when the letter comes from the wife, everything comes with a great deal more conviction. I've suffered a great deal. Let, have, let this righteous man go. I've suffered greatly because of a dream I've had for him. God knows how to elevate. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't vote. I think you should certainly vote, and you should vote your conscience. But please understand, the only law you break is the one that demands that you sin. If you disagree with the law because you don't like it, that's one thing you still have to submit. The only law that you ever break is the one that demands that you sin. Has this government demanded that you sin? Now you could try to loophole it into trying to making it like that, but really I haven't found that yet. And please understand in this, if the government were to tell you to kill your baby, that you can say no to. But if it's the only hill you die on, that's a different story. 
the church has been very vagrant in this area. And I'll tell you why. Because nothing in our flesh wants to submit. Ladies, you think submitting to a man is rough? I agree with you. But we have to submit too to men that are openly evil. We all do. But I have to remember that the final authority is God. And no matter who's there, God knows how to let him go or stop them anytime he wants. And I have to go to God for it. He's my boss. He's yours too. And you go, but this person's making terrible, ungodly choices. I agree. Well, then listen, how could you expect ungodly men to make godly choices? Do you really think if we created a bunch of laws, everyone would simply obey them? In America, we have, just like you, speed limit signs. And it is amazing because there was a time when a couple of the really hardcore ruffians in our area were getting saved. One was a knuckle breaker for the Hells Angels for quite a while. All of a sudden we started having a sheriff's ministry because the guys that used to arrest him regularly were actually now not arresting him regularly because he was no longer creating the trouble. So instead they wound up coming to church. And I would sit and talk with them. And they say, it amazes us what we're seeing in this fellowship. And it isn't like our fellowship's any way unique other than the fact that we love Jesus and prayerfully every church would be that unique. He says, because out on the streets, Christians are just as bad as anybody else. You pull a guy over, they've got a fish on the back of their car, and they say, come on, I was only doing one mile over the ten mile buffer. If the mile, if it was 60 miles an hour was the speed limit, they were doing 71. That's still 11 miles past the speed limit. Does that make sense? Limit means limit. Did you get that? Please hear me. We could, we could say, oh, come on. That guy did worse. But as a Christian, God tells us we have to submit to the laws of the land. And by the way, when we submit, we're not supposed to just be like gritting our teeth the whole time. We really have to trust God. Because if we're going to serve God, we have to trust He's big enough to handle even that. So our first move is... And what does that mean? Get down. Let me hear you say it. Okay, that's four of you. Let's try the rest of you. What's the first move? One more time with some feelings. Okay, great. Jenny, we got the next one coming. Listen to this, and here's our verse. Therefore, you must also be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. The second move, and I'll let you think about it, is lift it up. That was great. Can everyone, come on, come on. I know you're probably thinking, now look it, this is church. How can you be too cool to do something dorky in church? Stand up, come on, work with me on this. Come on. Okay, here we go. Ready? Show us the move, Jenny. And everyone. Okay, so here's the first move. And then second move. See, next week there'll be a quiz. Don't not come because of this. And all Jenny's going to do is this. And you're going to have to know what that means, all right? Okay, listen. And that is lift it up. Say lift it up. Thank you. Now have a seat. Thank you. See, now there's no way you could fall asleep in church here. You're thinking, oh man, I came for a nap. Listen. 
I am a firm believer in your... Did I already say this? Don't just believe me, but search the scripture and make sure that the Bible has the final say. Make sure that that's the case. Follow me on this. In an unsaved world, what stops people is punishment. If the punishment is bad enough, they just might not, maybe, might not do it. I'm a firm believer man is evil as you let him be. And if you realize that, it's like, let's face it, if you knew there was no possibility of, of a camera being around or an officer being around, would the speed limit sign really inspire you to drive the speed limit? Allie? Oh, sorry. Oh, that's on. <laughs> sorry. You know, I drive until it feels fast. It's probably why I haven't driven in this country yet. Safe. For you. Once we rented in a convertible, um, a Chrysler, right? I, 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 how fast can a Chrysler go? And um, we put down the top. It was one of those really warm days on the coast. And we were driving, and we were putting on some ska music. And it's not even like I'm a big ska fan, but it's like, no. It's fast music to drive fast to. I didn't realize it until I got pulled over for doing 85. And I realized, and the police officer's like, do you have any idea? I mean, we have people in the back that are going like this, you know. They're like, we were like, write me a ticket, get me. No, we were asking for the police officers to pull us over. And I just realized, man, it's like, you, just, you don't even think about it. But like the moment a policeman pulls behind you, you're like, ah, and you check your speedometer right away. You, that's like natural. He's like, uh-oh. There's a Christian song that was out a few years ago that I remember, and it really bothered me because the first line in the chorus is, I want to run like the cops are hot on my tail. And I think, wow, what does that tell you about their view of police officers? Now listen. I have a 10-year-old that knows this. And I'll say, hey, don't do that. And she'll say, or else. She wants to know if the punishment's so bad that she won't do it. I'm like, I'll rip your head off and use it as a bowling ball. I have to get creative. I wouldn't do that. You hope you know that. Um, the Bible tells us we are not to be driven by wrath. We've escaped the wrath of God, and we could try to abuse that now and say, well, I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want. But listen what he says here. We're not to obey for wrath's sake, but actually to lift up the bar and now do it for conscience sake. And that's a different thing. Here's the difference. Your conscience will tell you don't do it because it's wrong. That's it. You don't need anything more. You don't need, well, what happens if I do? Scripturally, you don't do it because it's wrong. At the university near where we lived, a survey was given to the, to the uh, men, and I think it was something like 18 of the fraternities, and the question was asked, if you could rape somebody and never get caught for it and get away with it completely, would you do it? 94% of the men said yes. 94% of them. Well, I tell you, that's, that's one place not to send your daughter to go to school. Scripture tells us that every person is given a conscience. In Romans, it told us in the beginning that even those who were not under the law, their consciences testified for or against them in Romans 2.15. The problem is that there are those, even as Isaiah would say in 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Black, white, white, black, dark, night, that kind of thing. That's one of the reasons why I have a real hard time with the, when people, you know, I'm like, hey, you know what, church was awesome. And they're like, yeah, wicked. I have a real hard time with that. Because wicked is the opposite. 
Because I wasn't that good with sick either. You know, oh, sick. I'm like, oh, that's really bad. They're like, no, that's good. How is sick good? In Titus 1.15, it tells us to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their mind and their consciences are defiled. And what defiled means is polluted. Understand that though we're born with a conscience, we can pollute our conscience. And as we pollute our conscience, we are asking for it. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, it tells us about those who then speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own consciences seared as with a hot iron. I don't know how many of you have ever really been seriously burned, but it deadens all the nerve endings so you no longer have feeling in that area. Your conscience, I remember living on the coast, I would hear this buoy bell out there. It was this bell that is planted deep because of a rock that had risen up in the water that jettied up. So that when the ships were to go on the open, to ride on the open sea, this, this bell was there to tell you that it was going to, if you were to, to go beyond this point, it was sudden and total damage. You were going to get hurt. Your ship was going to go down. You can choose to ignore that ship. You can choose to walk away from that, that conscience. You can sear the feeling of it, but in the end, that rock is not going to move. And no matter how many ships try to get past it, you're, every one of them is going to hit that rock. Your conscience is there like a buoy bell to say, hey, I want to warn you, this is bad territory. You should not be here. But once it gets seared, what can happen? It's been polluted. It's been numbed. And Hebrews 9.14, let me flip the, the switch on that. For those who have given their life to Christ, it says, How much more then shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? God, through the power of the blood of his Son, can wash your conscience clean again. It tells us, by the way, in 2 Corinthians 4, too, that when such a thing happens, we renounce those hidden things of shame. We don't walk into craftiness or handling the Word of God deceitfully. And let's face it, when you pollute your conscience, what you try to do is you try to bend Scripture to agree with your wicked mindsets. God's not into that. He says, therefore, but manifesting the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. By that point, then, we wind up holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, as Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.9. When Paul gives his testimony in Acts 23.1, he says, Men and brothers, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Think about that. The man who had killed Christians, pulled men and women and children away from their families and had them murdered because of their faith, had all of that washed away by the blood of Jesus and could then turn and say, I've lived in pure conscience before God now. If we're going to serve God, we're going to have to get down under the authority that God gives us. And then we're going to have to lift it up 
and lift up the bar on what is right and wrong and to, to not do things simply because they're wrong. You realize how revolutionary that is in this world? Hey, look at, can I just say, and I'm not going to pick on a lot of things, I'll try not to, but can I just say, don't ever expect for us to serve alcohol at any event, ever. Could that have been better planned? That's a reminder to turn off your phone. Look at that. And what's even better is it's somebody texting saying they couldn't make church. Oh no, you made it right into church. If the fire is going to burn you, and I know that some are naturally drawn to that fire to get burnt, it shouldn't be lit anywhere near you. And I don't want to be responsible for you falling into the fire. Does that make sense? Now please hear me. My heart's desire is for you and for me to become more like Jesus and to shed those things that you're not even sure are right or wrong. To step away from that so that you live in a place where everything that you live in is absolutely good and pure. That's what he told us when he told us not to conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we could know and approve that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay. Jenny, are you ready? Everyone up? We're down to, we're halfway there. Some of you are like reluctant now. Come on now. What's the first move, Jenny? Show them. And what does that mean? Come on, never do it. Get down. Okay, we're getting down under the authority that God places. Second. And what does that mean? Lift it up. What are we lifting up? The bar, the standard, right? Now the standard is conscience, not just punishment. Are you with me so far? So what is it? It's get down, lift it up. One more time. Get down, lift it up. Okay, here's the third. Now listen. For because of this you also pay taxes. Ugh. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. So render to everybody what's due. Taxes, customs, fear, honor, Oh, no one, anyone, anything except this, the ongoing debt to love one another. The third is lay it down. How are you going to do that one, Jenny? Remember what you had just done. So, she had no idea she was going to be put on the spot like this. This is part of the fun. Oh, that was just beautiful. That was just, okay, you ready? Everyone, here we go. Did you get that? Here we go. So one, two, three, lay it down. So this is what we have. We have get down, lift it up, lay it down. Did you get that? Okay. Beautiful. Now listen. I have learned... That if the most important thing is already laid down, everything else becomes less consequential. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, Jesus, and it's the challenge chapter, Jesus is being challenged by the religious leaders. It's the last week of Jesus' public ministry before his execution. 
And there is a day when everybody has their little token question that they think is going to shut down. How do you win an argument with God? Especially if you want to play the theological questions with them. They ask him a question, he says something, they go, we don't know, and they walk away with their tail between their legs. They ask another thing. Jesus throws the zinger answer, and they walk away with their tail between their legs. Jesus finally says, let me ask you a question. They can't answer it, and then they never ask him another question. And here's one of the questions, and I should have brought the denarius. I have a denarius back at the house. I should have brought it. They ask, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? So this question is not a new one. In this country, 40% of your income becomes taxes. 40%. You don't pay sales tax like we do in America. So I, I, don't, I can't even tell you how much we actually pay. Well, I guarantee you if things move the way they are moving right now, we'll be there. But I can say this. That 40% of it goes to things you may not like. Sure, I agree. I'd rather have that 40%. I'll be honest. If I had that 40%, I would still spend much of it on things that would be inconsequential too. I'll be honest with you. But Jesus' answer was beautiful. He's in the temple. This is his house. He has come home. And he's being challenged in his house. And Jesus says, well, let me see a denarius. And a denarius is a day's wage. By the way, a denarius was not an acceptable coin in the temple. I hope you know that. It isn't like you could buy anything with a denarius, or shouldn't be able to buy anything with a denarius in the temple. You had to change your money to a shekel to be able to spend money in the, in the temple. So you had all of those currency exchanges built up. And of course, that's one of the things Jesus flips over. We're aware of that. So he goes, show me a coin. And so they, you know, they give him a coin. And he takes a look at the coin, and his question is really simple. He says, it looks like there's an image on there, don't you think? And they said, yeah, there's an image. I said, well, well, whose image is this made in? And they said, well, it's got Caesar's image on it. They said, well, then it belongs to him, then, doesn't it? Give to him what belongs to him. But he doesn't stop there. But if we did stop there, clearly we are to pay our taxes. He says... But you better give to God what belongs to him. You see, the reason why this belongs to the queen is because it's got her image on it. The reason why a denarius belongs to Caesar is because it has his image on it. But if something belongs to God, it should, it should be given to him too then. Well then, how did we know what belongs to God? It has his image on it. So the question is, well, what's made in God's image? And the answer is... Yes, you. And please understand, that's the point of this. If you, were, if you gave yourself, the one created in God's image, to the one who made that thing in the first place in his image, all of the other things seem less consequential. You're like, but I don't have a lot of money. God says, who gives you the money anyway? Who sponsors you and takes care of you anyways? You go, yeah, but... And it's amazing how we could trust God with everything that doesn't mean anything. Does that make any sense? God, I have no problem trusting you with things that if you really don't pull through, it really isn't going to make a difference in my life. I don't have a bet on the game, but I'm going to trust that you're going to have that team win anyways. But when it comes to things, and let's face it, money is one of those areas, because you know that without it, bad things happen especially as it gets colder outside. 
But if you can't lay down, if you can't lay yourself down before God, you won't lay down anything else joyfully. Even in places where you know it should go. And that's not just money. That's honor. Notice it's on the list. Fear, which means proper reverence, respect. Do you realize that a Christian really is one who's supposed to respect others? That's a crazy thought. Do we look any more respectful than others? If we're an economically driven society, and I do believe we are, we will be driven, and that means people who actually pull from the dole will become less important than people who contribute. Does that make sense? Do you know who used that banner? Hitler did. And as a result of that, the first people that he actually sought to execute were not the Jews. They were the elderly. They were the special needs, the disabled. Because in his opinion, they were drunk. See, all you have to do is start by getting everything to be economically driven. Once it's economically driven, in other words, once money becomes God, then people become the problem. And everyone, everyone around you is a competition. It's like trying to drive here. The space is very limited on the road, and people will do whatever they can to get on the road. Beloved, please hear me. If you can't really trust him to be Lord of this area, how can he be Lord of all? If I can't lay myself down to God. Ladies, you'll never be able to submit to your husband if you can't submit to the Lord. All of us will never be able to submit to the government if we can't submit to the Lord. And we won't submit to the Lord if we can't lay ourselves down trusting that He really can do better with it than we can. It's really that simple. In in Proverbs 3.27, it tells us not to withhold good from anyone to whom it's due when it's the power in your hand to do so. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, we read. This is His response in regards to Psalm 84.11. It says, No good thing will He withhold to those who walk uprightly. God doesn't have a stingy hand. In Proverbs, it tells us about one who has a stingy hand and yet is completely vacant, lacks good. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need shuts up his heart. How can the love of God be in him? How would you like a guy to tell you that? He's like, look at the way. Now, he's not saying that. Notice, he doesn't say that about everyone. He says that about your brother or your sister. Let's face it, I mean, it's one, it's not, I'm not even getting into the other pool. I'm just saying, can we show the love that we need to show to each other here in this room? Well, we duck out when the need is there. But we look away when we know that we can actually offer. We have to be careful with that. Okay, we're three quarters of the way done of our ministry dance. Jenny? Okay, this time she's going to do the motion and you have to tell us what it means. You're doing great. Okay, here we go. First one. And what, what does that mean? Come on now, I'm not even making you do it. You should give me lots of... Lots. What is it? And what are you getting down? Under What are you getting under? Under what? Under the authority. Getting down under authority. Second one. Lift it up. And what are you lifting up? The bar, now you are actually being driven by conscience, not by wrath. Third one. Lay it down. And what are you laying down? Yourself. You're laying down yourself. Ready? Here's the fourth one. Listen. And now, 
Do this, knowing that time is high time to awake out of your sleep. For now, their salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Can I say the last one is get up? Awesome. Okay, Jenny, give us all four motions. One, two, three, four. Almost looks like a cheer now, doesn't it? Okay, everyone, give it a try. Come on, up you go. Come on, you can't get this at every church service, and you're thinking, good. Come on, you know, like you're getting healthy. Look at this. Jeffrey, I'm looking at you. Jeffrey. Bruno. Come on, you can't, you, gotta, you can't film if you're doing it. Jeffrey, I'm, I'm watching you. Come on, film yourself. Okay, okay, everyone. First one, what is it? Second one. Third one. Fourth one. Get up. Okay. Hey, give a big hand to Jenny. That was... Let's, let's face it, that can't be easy. If you thought it was rough for you, you wouldn't have to do it in front of anyone. Except me. All right, now listen. What God wants to make sure is that you don't waste time on this as if it were simply a theory. If the enemy cannot convince you that there is no hell, and if the enemy can't convince you that there is no harm, he will convince you that there's no hurry. I know I should be developing a good quiet time. Oh, but I'll do it someday. I know that I should get serious about my walk. I'll do it someday. I know that right now I'm playing in areas I shouldn't be playing in. I know someday this will probably get better. I know that I should probably stop playing around with this or that. I know that I should stop hanging around with this person or I should stop being romantic with this thing. Ah, someday. If you were to talk to Paul and he says, you want to get into ministry, get up. Don't wait to get serious. It tells us, by the way, those who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Ephesians 5.14 See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Every moment that ticks away, being latent and idle, is an, is an evil moment. And the Bible says we will have to even give account for every idle word we speak. If he says here that our salvation is closer than when we first started, and it was close then, how close is it today? We should be able to feel it, to smell it, to hear it. And this is what he tells us. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. That's what it means to get up. Scripture tells us, you know what happens at night? People get wasted at night. People get pregnant at night. People get diseases at night. He says that's what happens at night. The prostitutes come out at night. People get drunk at night. That's what happens. People can't wait till it turns dark because in the dark, things don't look as evil to them as it does in the daylight. It's interesting. When the sun rose up, when my wife and I were over in Paris and we had to walk through one area, we were going to the Sacre Coeur, which is the church where 24-hour prayer is being held. The area that was so lit up with neon lights the night before that seemed so intimidating, was just a gross, dirty, nasty thing in the daylight. It was gross at night, too. 
It was just very populated at night. And that was the adult district, because the Sokokur is just above it. You can walk through areas at night that can look so glamorous. We went to a missions conference in Las Vegas. During the day, it's filthy and gross. At night, it's even grosser. It just looks more glamorous. And it tells us if we're going to get up, we should cast off. And notice the word let. Let us cast off. Inside you, isn't there a part of you that wants to get rid of this? And isn't there a part of you that's tired of this bondage? Isn't there a part of you that's sick of this filth? Isn't there a part of you that just really wants to see this thing put right? That knows that the Lord has more for you. That knows that the Lord has a higher calling. That knows that the Lord is going to shine deeper and more bright and radiate hotter and change the world more fruitfully and use you more effectively. Don't you know that there's that out there? Someday doesn't cut it. It's time to get up from our sleep because that's what the church looks like when we nod at the truth but don't put shoes on it. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's walk properly. What does it mean to walk properly? Let me say it this way. We walk under authority. We are guided by conscience and God's Holy Spirit who gives us that conscience. And we love one another by laying down our lives. That's what he's already showed us. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry. Do you know what revelry means? Revelry just means the party lifestyle. You don't even have to be drunk to live the party lifestyle. You could be the person that just goes for the music to dance in the clubs. It's still revelry in the sight of God. And you could say, yeah, but I'm not. Don't tell me. I'm not the one you have to speak with. He says, it is time to cast that off now. And it's time to get up. Not in revelry or drunkenness, lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. Hey, look it. You can go to, you know, I mean, there's no shortage of places to go for revelry and drunkenness. We're aware of that. You can head deep into the city and find places right now simply for lewdness and lust, focusing on lewdness and lust. And you'd say, well, clearly those are sins. But during the daytime, you may have to go to the east side to see more brazen, open strife and envy, although it will be everywhere. When it has to be not just the Bentley, but the new one. When you can't just work on the third floor of the best building, but you have to be in the penthouse. Where your suit has to be a label. It's still envy and strife. And he tells us it's time to cast it off. Don't you realize all these things are drunkenness? You're drunk by ambition and selfishness. You're drunk by lust and desire. You're drunk by things that are simply there to try to make you escape the reality of what your life is, which at this moment is nothing but living in the basement of your own life doing nothing. And you know what you need to put on? The Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This chapter ends with this. 
get up and leave that behind. Get up out of it. I lay down myself to the Lord. And as I lay down myself to the Lord, He's going to say, get up and let's get out of this. Because all this is, is a cell you chose to put yourself in that will keep you from the things that God wants to do. I had a friend who was a pastor that says he loves to have, and I'm not going to try to pick on this, it just happens to be the first example that comes to mind, and he's like, look it, he loves a great Guinness, but the problem is, when you, get to, when you start pushing him on it, he's like, he knows that the moment he has it in front of him, he can't share with anyone. I'm like, so which one are you going to choose? It's like, I never thought I had to choose. I'm like, well, you, which one? Do you want to be available for someone, or do you want... Now look at the only reason I'm playing this on is because it's such an accepted thing here. Run and get married and get divorced and then get remarried and get divorced and get remarried and then the world wonders why we start flipping out when they start trying to redefine marriage. We already have. Hey, I'm not here to diss on your past. But I'm here to tell you if you're part of this fellowship, never expect us to stand on any divorce. If you're like, I think I'm thinking about getting divorced, never expect me to cheer you on that. From this point forward, I tell you what, no matter where your past has been, I'm here to tell you, if you get married, it's till death do you part. We'd rather kill you than let's and watch you get divorced. Now that's no threat, but take it whatever way you want to. We have a fantastic record of people getting married and staying married. They may worry about us showing up in their driveways, but they're, they're still married. And I'm gonna just be, I'll, I'll just be this honest with you. If my wife and I thought we had a way out in our first two years, we would have taken it. The reason why we were still married is we didn't give ourselves an option those first two years. We would have easily, we were too immature, selfish. We were people who fit into this category quite well. And had we even found a door or even a window to sneak out of, we would have done it. But we barred all of them up and said, look, we commit ourselves to two things, to stay married for our entire life and never be separated and to enjoy that. I tell you what, when two people make that commitment, it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier because you know that you never hit the alarm button because you never get that far. You don't say, well, maybe we should or, well, I'm thinking about because you just don't think about it. You say, we worked this out. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know two people more different than my wife and me. And I love that we're that different because therefore we could tell other people, shut up. No, you ain't. God can still fix this. Now listen, if we're genuinely going to minister and serve, we need to do it right. We need to be willing to get under authority. Now look at that's one of the two areas I'm most sheepish to share about because obviously, scripturally, the Bible tells us that even in a church, there's authority. God never gives authority for any other reason other than to accomplish the respect responsibility he gives. There's always an equilibrium between authority and responsibility. And he's given me responsibility and he gives me authority that comes with it. But I tell you what, the Bible says to pray for all people that are given authority. And can I humbly ask, if I can throw any form of command, pray for me. Respect the chair, but pray for me. I'm a human being and I don't like that either. But pray for me. This is what it says in First Timothy 2. And it's an easy acronym to remember. All supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving are to be made for all people in authority, for kings and all who are in authority. Supplication, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving. That's spit. Throw your spit to the king. Throw your spit to anyone in authority. Supplication, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving. And throw it my way too. I'd love prayer for you.
We need to get under authority. Now, I have no, I'm, not, I'm told I'm not to lord over you, and I'd rather be an example, and praise God for that. But we get under the authority that God places, first of all. And then after that, what's the second one? We lift up, and we lift up the bar now to not be driven by fear of wrath, but we let God's Holy Spirit purify our conscience, and we let His conscience, they let His conscience lead us now. And when it says it's wrong, we don't do it because it's wrong. Or if He says it's right, we do it because it's right. Third, and what do we lay down? We lay down ourselves to love one another. We lay ourselves down to God first, and then we lay ourselves down to each other to love one another. And then last, get up and do it. Get up out of it. Get up out of it. Out of the filth and the darkness that we've come from. Now, as we go to prayer, and we're right on time, as we go to prayer, my challenge to you this week is that God would take this dance and make it your life. And you take this dance and make it my life too. There may be times where the Lord will say, Hey, 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 hey. Are you really getting under it like you should? Are you getting down? How's your attitude towards the police? And you say, well, they're crooked. But I want to remind you, God's put them in place. And you're like, oh, how did God put a crooked place in a place? I'm like, yeah, ask Pharaoh and ask Nebuchadnezzar how that works. He knows how to get what he wants. We should be the one people that says, you know, let's say so, we're the only people on the planet that just say, you know what, I'm not even going to worry about it because God's still bigger than they are and he knows how to make it happen. He's still in control. And this week, maybe there'll be times where the Lord will say, hey, are you getting down like you should? Second, there'll be those moments when you're like, I could probably get away with that. And God goes, are you really letting your conscience stop you like it should? Is my Holy Spirit able to speak to you right now? Or are you polluting your conscience and searing it right now? Are you lifting it up to where it should be? So when everyone else says, come on, come on, it's okay, then be the one person that holds up the bar and says, no, it's not. And you're like, but I'll lose friends. Hey, if those are friends, how could you lose them? And then you look and say, someone says, hey, I could really use, and you go, oh, no, can I fake like I lost the call? God says, no, I want to lay it down. I'm going to lay it down because that's what real service is. I'm going to give to God what belongs to him and then give to anyone else what belongs to them. And then last, there are maybe those moments where you're like, you know what? I've always done this a little bit more and maybe, and he's like, get up. Get up out of it. It's no longer time to do this. Grow up and get up and get out. You're like, but I'm new at this. Good, then be new. But hey, if God says it's wrong, walk away from it. You're like, I don't know how. Ask him, he'll do it. He wants to. We know this all starts with surrendering to Jesus. That's how this whole book started. We're sinners that need to be saved. But as we're saved, he makes us students. And as we become students, he makes us servants. And as we become servants, we learn this dance. And it'll be one we'll be doing for the rest of our lives until the day the Lord joins us. But let me just say, the choreographer is the one who laid his life down at the cross. Imagine being God and submitting yourself to man. You ever thought, I know more than they do? How do you think he was? Imagine the things that Jesus could have done and covered it up, but he didn't. But he only did what was right and he only did what the Father told him. That's what he tells us.
Has there ever been anyone who's laid down their life more clearly than Jesus? Is there anyone who's ever emerged out of the darkness? And not just the darkness that's clear and proven darkness, but even the acceptable darkness of the, the religious community around him that accepted great greed and avarice and strife and envy. And that was big business, but it was still okay because it was part of the church. And he still wouldn't even accept that. Oh, beloved, Jesus is the perfect answer in this. And he's the one we surrender to. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful book. I thank you for this chapter. And I know, Lord, this is prerequisite for the next chapter where we learn how to deal with each other, even though we may have very different convictions and different stances, Lord. But I'm real excited to see how you're going to purify our fellowship as we continue to go through this book. But Lord, I just pray tonight for every one of us that you would truly lead us like, you sh- like, like we want you to lead us inside. Lord, that we would learn how to get down underneath the authority, Lord, and, and forgive us, Lord, for the way that we've allowed the world to dictate because we recognize, Lord, that the world is going to hate any authority and then we want to say that you should be Lord. How are they going to want you as Lord? They hate all authority and they would not want to submit to anyone else's, including yours. But God, I just pray right now that you would minister to our hearts and you would show us again that you are above all things. You are the Lord of lords. You are the King of kings. We're going to trust you. We're going to trust you that you know what you're doing. And for such a time as this, you've put us in this position. And Lord, we pray that we could operate in a way, Lord, that is no threat to the law enforcement and to the government. But rather, Lord, that we could stand under your governance. And in the way that the respect that will be granted, in many cases, for our obedience to you, we can use that influence then to help steer and govern, Lord, a government that so desperately needs to turn to you. And I pray right now, Lord, as well, that we would no longer be led by by fear of wrath. Because I know when that means is that when the consequences are removed, then so is our concern for, for it ever being wrong. But we want to be led by what is true and by your Holy Spirit to do what is right. And Lord, with that as well, I pray right now that we would be willing to lay down our lives because Jesus, you laid down yours for us. So Lord, please, tonight, we want to just confess you, Jesus, is our Lord and Savior. Savior, because you died on the cross for us. Lord, because you rose again and have the right to be the architect of our reinvention. And with that, then, Lord, may we emerge out of the darkness around us and no longer be latent, but open and available, even tonight, for whatever you have for us. As we commit ourselves to you and we thank you, Jesus, for how you demonstrated that by dying on the cross for our sins and then raising again in the newness of life. And for that we commend you and we thank you and we worship you and we exalt you and we call you our Lord and Savior. And we say thank you. Be exalted, Lord, in our lives, we pray. Jesus, in your name. Amen.